Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So we're in the shed again. We're walking into the shed. And Collie, it's nice to be back. It's very nice to be back. Everyone's looking good. Everybody is looking great. How are my former flatmates, Terry uh, and Fred? Oh, Terry's asleep under here. Yeah. Our toad is, our tree frog is in there. Uh, was calling last night. Oh, really? So, yeah, yeah, it was very, very unusual. Little yeah, he, I used to hear him at home as well. Yeah. It was lovely. So, yeah, we're, we're, they're all doing good. Fantastic. The place is a bit mucky because I was cleaning out some containers last night. Welcome to The Critter Shed. This is episode number 50 and also the first episode in our fifth season and we're delighted to be back. This episode was recorded last spring. It was one of those rare occasions that Collie and I actually managed to get together in the shed and share some terrific stories about wonderful animals. And of course, I got to say hello to a frog and a toad who used to live with me and have since moved to live with Uncle Collie. So, enjoy the show. So today I was going to have a chat with you about one of my favourite little creatures and I suppose it was uh, a gateway drug for me, one of the many gateway drugs into, into nature and wildlife and I, I cannot recommend if anyone's out there who has an interest in, in native wildlife and wants to keep them as pets, mm. it's a fantastic uh, little creature, it's called the stickleback. Stickleback, now I remember them as kids. I remember talking about them as kids, I don't really remember what they look like, all I remember is that they're small and they're fish. Yes, they're fish. They're small fish. So they're, they're the first fish you'd probably catch in the UK and Ireland as a kid with a net in a pond. Yeah, um, that was probably it. Yeah, so we would call them minnows or pinkeens. Yeah. Pinkeens, that was yeah. it. Minnows also include the actual minnows, but people will mix them up with sticklebacks. And pinkeens is definitely a name yeah. in Ireland for them because the males have a very colourful belly, which we'll get into in a bit. Um, in the UK... I believe their common name is a tiddler. A tiddler, all right. Yeah, which I think that's where that expression comes from. So, what yeah. expression? The tiddler, like as in be, it being small. Oh, right, yeah. right, yeah, yeah. Not that I know anything about that. But Kachoo! <laughs> 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 Boom, we're back! Um, but, um, and why do you want to talk about sticklebacks? Why are they amazing? Well, it's this time of year. I was looking in a, in a pond a while ago up in a, a place we visited in Terranure where we saw the newts. Oh, yeah. And I got to see a very cool behaviour that, um, as I said, if you collect a couple of sticklebacks and put them in a nice tank in your garden, uh, a decent sized tank, they're not a jar. And we want to give them a good life, but they live quite happily in something like that. Um, 
not great to have in a wildlife pond if you have a small wildlife pond because they will eat tadpoles. Mm. So that, that that's that's one to be uh, watched. But uh, if if you want to observe some really cool behaviour, especially if you have younger kids or family members that you'd like to get them uh, interested in nature, there's a great thing that sticklebacks do, are doing at this time of year. And that's something that's very unusual for fish. Well, very unusual for our fish. And that's nest building. Ah. So I have a picture here. Yeah. So there you go. I love these old fashioned. Uh, so you've just pulled up this gorgeous sort of illustration of um, sticklebacks from a German book. It says Großer Stichling. Oh, very and good. That's the old fashioned. It's probably an old book. It's got the old font. Yeah, oh, it, it is. It's yeah. definitely. I love these old. Um, You'll see them up in kind of in old fashioned bars and stuff yeah. like that. Uh, where, um, and if you go to like really old in, in, encyclopedias, you'll see the very old kind of painted natural yeah. history uh, paintings. Um, so this is a scene with three fish and yeah. there's something in the middle that looks odd. Well, yeah. for, for a fish. Yeah, so this this pile here is created. First of all, we'll start off at the start of the year. So that's when the males come into breeding colours. The fish themselves are very small, mm. slender fish, slender as in their body isn't wide. Mm. Their bodies can be quite deep. And how long are they? Maximum length would be about 10 centimetres. Right. But they vary between that and about six. Yeah. Depending on their food that they have, um, depending on what kind of conditions they're living in. You can get them in everything. They're very unusual in this way. You can get them everywhere from salt water to brackish water to really? fresh water and ponds. Yeah, this is wow. specifically the tree spine stickleback we're talking mm. about. There's numerous species of sticklebacks, but the tree spine is the one I'm focusing on today. Yeah. Um, in Ireland, we actually have another species called the the ten spined or the nine spined stickleback, depending on who you ask. <laughs> and in the UK, they have the fifteen spined stickleback. Oh, they would, wouldn't they? And just to make it even more, <laughs> yeah, and, and just to make it even more awkward, all of those stickleback, all those specific numbers on their spines, may have more or less than their name okay. denotes. If that makes just any to make sense, it really clear. So you can have three spines stickleback with four spines or two. Right. Um, you can have 10 spines sickle back with 8 spines it depends because they're a very unusual creature as in once they get into an area they adapt very quickly and it's almost like they speciate really fast um, so if, if if they were to move into a lake where there was mainly mosquito larvae that was feeding on the top level their mouths will naturally over generations will quickly turn upward Ah. Whereas if they're feeding in a muddy pond where all the food's on the bottom, mm. their mouths can start to go downwards mm. really quickly in a couple of generations. That's incredible. Yeah, and they're, they're studied by science a lot because of that, because yeah. you can really see adaptation happening yeah. fast, especially in their armour plating. And that's where they get their name Stickleback because okay. they have tree spines on their back or two or one or whatever, <laughs> whatever, whatever <laughs> mood they're in. But they'll actually uh, shoot up like almost like little... Um, Spikes. It, it's like it's like the spikes the police would roll out on the road to stop a car. Yeah. And they come out from the top of the fish mm. and come out from the side. So if Mr. Pike or Mr. Perch is coming along, sees Mr. Stickleback or Mrs. Stickleback and wants to gobble them up, the spikes will lock out and they're really, really hard. Like they'll if you were to grab the fish it would pierce your skin. This is a real good deterrent. Now, it doesn't always work, but most of the time it will stop the um the predatory fish from swallowing the, the, the stickleback down. Right. You can eat Actually, sometimes you can catch fish if you're a fisherman. You might catch fish and you'll see a stickleback lodged in the throat wow. of a larger predator. So it's a, it's a really useful um, 
way of defending themselves. Wow. Anyway, so the males in spring start to develop this beautiful red belly. It goes from the bottom of their... See it there in the picture? Yeah, it goes from the bottom of their uh, mouth mm. right down up to the, to, to the dorsal fin. And that is to display to the females how vigorous and healthy he is. If he's got parasites or if he hasn't fed very well or if he's uh, generally just malaise and not, and not a healthy fish, that colour won't be as vigorous. Mm-hmm. And you can you can see also on the back there, he gets this kind of a bluey-green tint. Some isolated populations, the males will actually turn white on top. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, it's very varied. And it's female selection-driven. Mm-hmm. So the girls are kind of deciding who they're going to mate with because they'll have the brighter colours and, and, and so forth. So then the males do a really weird thing. They'll dig out a small shallow pan in mm-hmm. the bottom of the pond. They gather up a lot of sphagnum moss, algae, mm. bits of plants, twigs, everything, and make them into a ball. And then they'll produce a secretion from their kidneys. Mm. And I think it's called spigot. And I think that's a Scandinavian word for stickleback, as far as I remember. But it's a secretion that they produce from their kidneys. And they basically charge head first into the ball that they just made on the ground and kind of carve out, for want of a better word, a hole in the middle, producing a little nest. And sort of fortify it with this. Fortify with, the... with that spigot stuff ah. that, that they, that they uh, stick it with. Yeah. And then wait for the females to arrive. Now, the females arrive to inspect the nest and also to inspect the male. And he'll do a kind of a zigzag dance in front of her, showing off his spikes, his belly. He'll be uh, kind of really giving it socks to make sure that uh, she's impressed. The funny thing about sticklebacks is, though, that the, it's not just the males that are, or the females that are selecting the males. The males will actually select the bigger and more rotund females. Oh, they like the, babies, the shapely, curvy the women. Shapely, curvy women. They okay. really do. And that's because the bigger females are, are of course, healthier mm. and they have more eggs. Mm. So a smaller female might only have 30 eggs, but she could have up to 200. Yeah. So it's a mutual thing. They both have to swipe it's right. It's very, very, yeah. It's they're very, very fussy, <laughs> um, and it really does stand to this kind of quick evolution or quick adaptations. Because instead of just one partner looking for a healthier mm. mate, both are. Mm. So it's doubling the mm. quality selection control. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. The the picture of that nest that we're looking at, and also the behaviour reminds me of um, what the bowerbirds do when the males build mm-hmm. a nest. Yeah, yeah. That is for display purposes yeah. and to attract a female, and yeah. they do the dance. It's amazing it's, to see it's that. It's not that dissimilar. All they're mm. short of doing is putting a bit of shiny stuff around <laughs> the front. But yeah. But once once she goes in there, um, she'll lay the eggs. And again, like this is stuff I used to watch. And I have vivid memories of watching it in my mum and dad's greenhouse really? in the fish tank. And you could see, I was like, oh, my God, because wow. I'd read about it. But you didn't think you'd see it. Mm. And then you see it happening. Um, she lays the eggs. He'll follow in directly afterwards, fertilize them. Mm. And immediately he'll drive her off. Like, oh, get the hell really? away. Yeah. They become super aggressive. Now, he can mate with a couple more females yeah. and basically fill the nest up. Right. And again he'll become super aggressive he'll even risk his own life to chase away predators and everything they, they just turn into these lunatics the males do very defensive very defensive then if it's in a low kind of oxygen content in the water in the pond he'll actually fan them so he'll sit over with his dorsal fins and his tail and, and kind of fan the water around to create this flow of oxygen over the eggs to make sure they're all healthy and happy as soon as the babies hatch out 
he'll protect him for uh, another couple of days by actually swallowing them in his mouth and bringing really? them back to the nest. Yeah. Wow. It's incredibly... So a big commitment there. It's a big commitment for the males. And a lot of them actually kind of get really hungry because they go off their food for this yeah. point and they're kind of uh, very, very protective. Wow. And then once it gets to a certain point, he'll break that connection and the young fish are off on their own. But they've got a great head start in life compared to a lot of other species and that's why sticklebacks are, are so successful. So if you look at the nest and we're talking about the nest, how he, he forms out with that uh, that sticky chemical from his kidneys. This is another reason they're so successful because you can imagine if you're a moorhen or a duck or a heron, those evil birds that I love so much. Love uh, herons, they're yeah, not herons. evil. Um, I still have PTSD from the heron <laughs> destroying me pond last year. But um, yeah, if one of them is wading through one of the shallower areas of the pond or anywhere where where these eggs are, those eggs easily become stuck to the, the board's feet and can be transferred ah. from one pond to another. Ah. And that's why sometimes you see sticklebacks. I've seen sticklebacks in the craziest location I've seen them in that I know no one would have put them in was if you go down to the top of the Liffey near Houston Station. Yeah. Across it, there's a small little park where the... Uh, Floozy and the Jacuzzi, a, fa- a famous Dublin statue yeah. is. It's um, in, in, in a small pond. And beside the small pond, there's a fountain, a tiny mm. fountain. Mm. And there were sticklebacks breeding in that. That's insane. And there's no other way they would have gotten there only for a, a board landed with, with some sticklebacks. Wow. Right because nobody's, like, it's the city centre. Nobody's going to pop in a load yeah. of sticklebacks. It was, so they either got transferred from the bigger pond beside it or from... Um, Somewhere else, uh, it, it was just one of those things I was looking at. I was like, they, that's really good evidence for that, that, uh, brilliant. that theory. So come here, they can live in freshwater, brackish water or yes. salt water. So are they subspecies then that live in these places? Or if one, if an egg, can an egg go from a stream into, fre- into salt water? They're incredibly adaptive. Mm. They're incredibly tolerant of changing from one to another. Mm-hmm. They're actually closely related. And if you look at their face when I tell you this, you'll go, oh, that makes sense. And the male's behaviour. They're closely related to seahorses mm-hmm. and pipefish. Pipefish mm-hmm. are the fish with the big long nose that yeah. look like they got a hook stuck in it and yeah. somebody pulled their face out. But you can see, you can imagine that. And as well with the, the male behaviour protecting the eggs, mm. it's quite similar to what the the male seahorses yeah. do by taking the babies on board but can they go from freshwater to saltwater or do they have to change their biology their physiology they just are very highly tolerant so they can run from one to the other what happens is and what they reckon happens with the the species that are in ponds and lakes around here what they would have been the saltwater that ran to freshwater species mm-hmm. but they just got trapped during mm-hmm. the ice age mm-hmm. and just stayed there oh, okay yeah so I would say if you popped a, a stickleback from a pond in Wicklow into the Irish Sea, it mightn't do too well. Right, yeah. But it's just the adaptability of the species as a whole. Yeah, That's that, gotcha. that, if that makes sense. Gotcha. Like if we're, we were doing survey work down in Bull Island at the golf links down there. And there's brackish streams that run through the links, which we were like, and I, it was a mistake I made. I assumed they were fresh. It was fresh water because I saw sticklebacks in there. And at the time, I wasn't aware of the fact that the tree spine stickleback was quite tolerant to salt water wow. as well. So, yeah, it was because yeah, when I grew up with them, I just considered them mm. a freshwater mm. species. That's um, an incredible adaptation because, I mean, 
to go from salt water to fresh water, like you need to change practically the whole mecha- mechanism of your body. Yeah. The seafaring, for want of a better word. Yeah. <laughs> Sticklebacks. Yeah. They do travel into the fresh water to breed. Oh, wow. Like and salmon. It's like salmon. So that, and, and it makes sense when you think about it, or into brackish pools to breed, because if you're that small a fish out in uh, uh, the big ocean, it would make sense to protect your young to mm. go in a little bit more. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what a fascinating little uh, bunch of creatures. I, Incredible. I think, I think they're amazing. Yeah. I absolutely love them. It, it, they're a magic thing. You'll know they're not minnow or small trout or small perch uh, because they'll tend to they hover in the water if that makes sense mm. they have a wavy fin action they can t- curl their back tail and al- almost swim backwards as well so they have a very unusual pattern for a fish to swim in whereas a normal fish you'll just as you would imagine a fish to swim it has that darty kind of action sticklebacks tend to hover around the water like miniature uh, helicopters in the water it's, it's <laughs> incredible and uh yeah, really interesting fish to observe. Again, if you, if you catch one or two, you'll know the difference between a male and a female in spring because you'll see that mm. beautiful coloration on the male. And if you have a small tank in it and, and some kids around, it's a great thing to, to see and to observe yourself. There's nothing I'll never forget seeing my first time um, the male constructing the nest and wow. the display and everything. Yeah. And then once you're done, you can pop them back to where you found yeah. them. So, um, That's amazing. yeah, it really is a cool little thing. And they're, they're, they're awesome animals, underappreciated. And yeah. I think they're fantastic. Showing the love for sticklebacks. I yeah. remember my brothers and myself catching them in ponds and just, yeah. we, you'd look at them in a jam jar and then you'd that, put them back. That's it, yeah. Oh, I used to bring them home. God, I probably <laughs> butchered about half the sticklebacks in Dublin at one stage. But like, you know, now we're much more conscious of it. They're doing well though. They're one of those, again, they're so adaptable. Mm. Like there's some streams we've been sampling that have been like piss poor for like biodiversity. Sticklebacks, not a bother. They're the great survivors. They're going to be, they're going to be around for a long time. They really do well. Um, mm. Oh yeah, and here's another thing, and it's a throwback to one of our other episodes that we did with Maureen, my pal Maureen Williams from uh, Trinity. Remember we had her on to talk about parasites? Yeah, amazing. And she was telling us about how animals can be intermediary hosts. Mm. Did I say that word right? You did. Very good. (laughs) Um, So yeah, the sticklebacks are just that. They are a host, an in-between host from the stage of of a, a, a type of liver fluke that affects birds and fish. Oh, so they are a host for this parasite mm. and the parasite changes the behavior of the stickleback. Oh, how? It makes it less fearful and want to go up into the top of the water yeah. for Mr. Heron or Mr. Egret to eat. Wow. Isn't that, that makes fantastic? Sure it changes like this tiny parasite. Yeah. Changes the behaviour of the host animal that it's in and makes it do stuff so that the parasite can get onto its next stage. That is wild. By the way, if you haven't listened to the earlier episode about parasites, it is fascinating. Fantastic. It's fantastic. Maureen's a fantastic science communicator and... uh, yeah, it's well worth a listen, and uh, we're probably butchering the science of that. But uh, no, that's that, that's that's yeah, that's that's it. And like, so there you go. So sticklebacks, yeah, unsung heroes of the pond, brilliant to to observe and to look around. If you have some in your own wildlife pond, they are quite interesting. Not great to have too many of them if you want to have a lot of frogs and newts, because 
they tend to munch a lot of stuff that are smaller than them but uh, yeah really really interesting little critters and get out and catch them and have a look at them Nice one So they would they chow down on the tadpoles as you have now? Not now not at the size they are mm, now They're big aren't they? But when the tadpoles first hatch out sticklebacks would have a, would yeah. have a go at them Now I've, had, I've kept sticklebacks beside frogs for years but you never have the numbers of frogs that you would have without the sticklebacks if that makes sense Yeah, yeah. Fish and amphibians never mix right. very well in ponds yeah. especially in garden ponds yeah. That's the rule. But uh, yeah. A lot of Aiden going on. Yeah, that's it. That's it. <laughs> well, a big shout out to uh, the sticklebacks. I absolutely love them. I Great memories growing up with them. And yeah, yeah, happy days. Just goes to show the stuff that is around that you don't notice is if you stop and look at them, absolutely wonderful. That's what Amazing. We're all about here, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Making the, the unsung heroes. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So now we're going to walk over into your house, Collie, because there's something else we would love to talk about. Something adorable and amazing, but also slightly uncomfortable and problematic at the same time. So we're opening the door into your house. We're walking into your living room where there's a run. There's a big crate and Ivy. Ivy has popped out and she's the most adorable. Pug. Pug. She's lovely. So, She's 12 weeks old. 12 weeks old, yeah. Weeing on the carpet all oh, the time. I can't love her with excitement. And yeah, and you can hear her snorting away there. Yeah. As pugs tend to do. And the, the reason why we're talking about pugs is because it, it is something that needs to be talked about. Yeah. <laughs> She's just running around the place. So much energy. Um, they're, they're a flat-faced breed of dog. And a, a lot of flat-faced breeds of dogs and cats yeah. as well um, yeah. have these issues, these health issues. Now, um, I suppose when you get... I love animals and I want to make sure that they have the best quality of life. Yeah. Um, so it might seem odd that I have a dog that's, you know, clearly not a great breed health-wise. But, but like all your animals here, she was a rescue. Yes, she was. Uh, well, we, were t- we took her in. She was A friend of mine bred them and she had nowhere else to go. So we went and, and took her. Yeah. We're not going to breed her. She's going to be... Uh, living her life here. She might even have to get a little bit of work done on her nose. Yeah. Um, as as happens with dogs. So as I'm looking at her now, she's very cute. She has yeah. a lovely colouring. She's light coloured on her and ears. And she's happy and, her and healthy and running yeah. around like a mad thing. But she's flat faced. Yes. And you can see that her nose is deeply recessed. So that must be hard for her. It's hard. And, you know, according to my friends who are vets, um, it's like breeding through, a, you know, one of those high altitude masks that yeah. you have on. Oh. Um, or sometimes as bad as breeding through a straw. And really? Yeah, so it's really, really difficult for them to breed. Now, she's not too bad. She's She hasn't got that. But some pugs can't, like, physically can't run around much at all. and like Because they run out of oxygen and can't yeah. get enough back into their bodies. My friend, uh, who, who I know from Trinity, who's a nurse, uh, a veterinary nurse at the moment, was telling me that she's heard people who come to the veterinary uh, place looking for rescue dogs or to, to, and they want to get a pug because it won't need much walking because they can't breed and I mean mm. that's not a great attitude to have uh, obviously yeah it's been addressed now by the British Medical Association or Veterinary Medical Association the I believe that you're, you're, you're sort of breathing hard as she is running around like a thing <laughs> and you try to control her she's just full of energy so the, the, yeah the vets in England basically have gotten together and come out and said look it's Stop. you have to you can't you can't look at them as a proper dog anymore. Now, this is a thing called breeding, breeding for show as opposed to breeding for health. Um, so you, the people who are doing the big dog shows, I won't mention any names. We know what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, 
they, they, they have aesthetics that you want. And you can look at a picture of a pug from 100 years ago. 100 years ago. Wow. 1902 yeah. and it looks like a different dog it has a nose really? it has an actual right. nose like a dog um, actually I have a photograph here if you so, want to be yeah I'd love to see that she's gone for my there shoes now I've oh there she is again who's the best girl there you go oh my god it looks like a totally different dog well it looks like a pug with a nose with a snout yeah. an actual proper snout so you can see what's happened over the years of, of selective breeding looking yeah. for those for the wrinkles and things yeah uh, and the wrinkles are another issue that they have with their health so I mean what, what do the wrinkles do they they, they get infections uh, and, and, and folds of skin I suppose yeah, it'll be warm exactly. inside and you exactly yeah. so look um, what what she's what the, the the good thing about the kind of I suppose the vets taking a stand against it and stuff is that it's going to make people breed out the breed mm. I think a little bit more mm. and get it get it back to kind of a health based um, breed rather yeah. than appearance mm. um, for so for the th- shows. The thing that you were talking about is called the breed sta- the breed standard where yes, you have certain right. you certain aesthetics that you want to reach for whoever's judging to say yes this yeah. is the best in show. And it's or not only pugs pugs are yeah. the extreme end yeah. of it. But like, I mean, like if you look at German Shepherds, they've got this slope mm. back thing going on, mm. which causes hip problems and all this. Yeah. And look, at my, I'm only hearing and talking secondhand from um, friends I know who have yeah. dogs or, or, and who are experts in, 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 in their field and dogs, which, which I'd, eventually we're going to get someone on. I've got some good dog training friends and a couple of people who run kennels. So it'd be nice to, to have their point yeah. of view. But yeah, I think it was important just to, to mention, like yeah. if you are getting a dog to try and, you know, first sh- adopt, don't shop would be the main don't thing. Shop, yeah, try and rescue something if you can, yeah. and uh, stay away from the big factory breeders. Yeah, um, and you know, and let's also hear uh, some love for mixed breed dogs. What we used to call oh, mongrels, fabulous, exactly. fabulous animals. Oh, see, I wanted a pair of jugs. You what now? You can breed a you can breed a Jack Russell with a with a pug, and it's called a jug. So. <laughs> I wasn't asking you for any favours there, anything. I want a pair of jokes. But uh, yeah, but like the likes of that now will be coming out and, and, and you know, and just, you could just get this breed into um, into a much healthier state if it just kind of revert back to what they were originally, yeah. you know. Um, she has so much energy. I've forgotten how young animals oh have so God. much energy. It's, it's like having a kid. But she is gorgeous and I love her and she will, she'll be well looked after and loved. But yeah. it's important to acknowledge the fact that like, like I, I, it's 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 difficult because like I'd love to put a lot of pictures of her up because she does, is as cute as mm. a button. She's mm. been bred that way to look like a little kid. Yeah, we were we're attracted by the big eyes. The big they remind eyes us of not, babies and all that. Pain, yeah, but it's not a healthy no. uh, way for an animal to be. Mm. Uh, despite her going absolutely nuts yeah. all the time. I also heard about some of those dogs that have lots of foals where they slobber a lot. Oh yeah, and that slobber just causes their skin to go red and red they get infections. Yeah, stuff. Course, so there's yeah. many many yeah. many issues. Exactly. Um, but uh, but look, um, basically humans are shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not hopeful. With their ornamental dogs. Yeah, well, I mean, she won't be bred. Uh, yeah. Definitely not bred into pugs, and, and probably not bred at all because there's less stress on her, and yeah. she be she's well loved in this family. But yeah, look, read up in it and and look into yourselves and and. Um, Try yeah. not to encourage this kind of stuff, you know? Yeah. Basically, I can have a pug, but no one else can have one. <laughs> yeah. I don't mean to sound like that, though, but you know, I hope people don't understand where I'm coming from. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. There you go. Very well, I think we should go off and play with the pug. Yeah, now. let's go. Let's go and play with the pug. A lot of energy, come on. It's a good girl.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.